Check, 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 check. Hey, everybody. All right. All right. Uh, glad for you who are tuning in online and you who stayed. Uh, Leonard, just thank you again. Yeah. I remember uh, praying the best sermons of your life would be ahead of you, and I just, I was thinking over the past three, four weeks that he's answering those prayers. So I, I wanted to tell you that and just publicly thank you. Just, yeah, it's, let's keep going. Yeah, Jesus be big. All right, but we have a lot to talk about today, and Leonard knocked it out of the park. And so there's some themes in here as we get started. Um, and you at home, um, if you want to grab your Bibles, go ahead. Uh, Luke 4, 14 through 30 is what we hit today. And there's three big themes. Uh, Jesus begins his ministry and he's preaching. Uh, paradigm shifts, we see that in the people. They expect one thing, he gives them another. He's going to do that the rest of the book. And reality. Uh, and we'll talk about that more as we get into it. So Jesus begins his ministry. And verse 14 as I close my pop-up so I can see. All right. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. All right, so while he's in the wilderness last week, and he's, he's out for 40 days being tempted, that's what we talked about last week. So while he's out there, there's news about him simmering, and um, his uniqueness was standing out. And the headline is big, even though the story's short. Um, all they, they would have had in the air, there would have been a whiff of Messiah from everything that the voice in the wilderness, John the Baptist, was saying. So they, they, they knew little. The story was short, but the headline is big, Messiah. That's all they need to, it's in the air. Um, is they would have said, hey, did you hear the voice crying out? He's identified the one. Okay, so the headline, big. Um, so how profound that news would have been to a people who are oppressed, um, uh, and it believed largely that the Messiah was going to be this monarchical political liberator. Um, and then Jesus kind of turns that on its head uh, before we get to the end of the text. And so John's role is largely accomplished up to this point. So Jesus is up to bat. All right. So John has delivered his, the, the, he's delivered the mail. And Jesus is up to bat. And he taught in, the, verse 15, and he, Jesus, taught in their synagogues. He taught. Uh, that's the primary reason that Jesus came. If you uh, look at, I think it's in uh, Mark 1 and, um, and throughout, he says, I must go on to further towns to preach, for that is why I came. Uh, it's not the miracles. Those were just um, uh, to emphasize his teaching and show his love as well. Um, so he taught, a preparation knows Jesus is about to preach. Uh, preaching simply means to herald um, a lot. I, I always thought like the difference between preaching is in teaching. Teaching is giving someone a meal. Preaching is putting some hot sauce on that meal or some salt on that meal, some flavor on that meal. There's a way to think about it. That's a really bad definition, but <laughs> I think it helps for... Uh, Tabati Anabwali, who works, he's, uh, he's part of the Nine Marks crew, if you've ever heard of Nine Marks. Um, he defines preaching like this. Preaching is God speaking in the power of his spirit about his son from his word through a man. That's his definition of preaching. And I, I, I found that to be very accurate because he gives a, an explanation. And I'll just read it one more time. Preaching is God speaking in the power of his spirit about his son from his word through a man. And he explains his definition in this article. The article is called, How Do You Define Preaching? You can find it on the Gospel Coalition. I love the Gospel Coalition. D.A. Carson and Keller started it, I believe. Two solid guys. Um, uh, and he, just, he explains his definition. I'm trying to capture something of the Trinitarian, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, human instrumentality of this act, preaching. Um, I'm trying to say something about the divine presence, power, and proclamation that actually happens when men open their Bibles and open their mouths. Uh, J.I. Packer, largely considered one of the greatest theologians of the past hundred years, um, by many, uh, said, having studied the doctrine of the scripture for a generation, the most, sat the most satisfactory model is to describe it as thus, the Bible is God. Preaching. So every time you read your Bible, 
that's God speaking. You want to, and you've, maybe you've heard, if you want to hear God speak out loud, read your Bible out loud, you know. Um, okay, so who's going to preach? Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's God. All, we know that all scripture, 2 Timothy uh, 3.16 says all scripture is breathed out by God, and so when God breathes, it's scripture. Uh, Jesus speaks, and, his script, and it's scripture. We don't have that ability, no matter how strongly we feel about the things that we're zealous for. Um, that uh, Jesus can say, truly, I tell you, as we will hear him say many times as you read through the gospel accounts, uh, truly, I tell you, truly, I tell you, or amen, amen, or truly, truly, uh, before he, that's how he kind of, he gathers the ears, and he's using his authority to press weight on what he's about to say. Uh, he, Jesus can say, truly, I tell you, and only Jesus can say this, truly, I tell you, and it's the same as it is written in the Old Testament. Jesus saying, truly, I tell you, in the Gospels is the same as it is written, or thus says the Lord in the Old Testament, because of who he is, uh, who's empowering him, who his father is. Uh, so we have a living, speaking God, so we need to have listening ears. We'll see that it's amazing that he even came uh, and entertains a conversation with us, let alone endures our arguing. He argues a lot in the scriptures, if you say, like if you get to John 6, 7, 8, you almost see like this screaming match taking place uh, with the Pharisees and Jesus about all these things that are going on. It's amazing. Like I marvel at the patience of God just in my life, and he has to deal with all everybody from the first man to the last man. Uh, you know, it's The patience of God is something... Uh, that he should be worshipped for just by itself. I mean, if you want, if that, that's a good um, attribute of God to f f swim up the stream to God. His patience is astounding. That's for a different day. Uh, the effects of faithful preaching, as Leonard was talking about earlier, um, and we'll see are either adherence or stronger adherence to the Lord or, or hard-heartedness, turning away from the Lord, which is, excuse me, which is subtle hate. Remember that we talked about a few weeks ago, all hate is sometimes is just turning away. Um, so there's only a, po a few possible um, reactions that we can have, and essentially it's worship or reject. Um, so we can turn to God when he, we hear him speaking. We can remain torn, turned to God and then reject, we can turn away from God when he's speaking or never turn to him at all. Um, and this means there's often a shoot the messenger effect that comes when uh, the truth is extolled. Um, but all teachers, preachers of the word of God are to wrestle and lose to God for the sake of God's name. Um, so that what God wants to come forward, like I started reading the book of Jeremiah this week and you see Jeremiah, this young man, uh, in chapter one. He, uh, he, he, God has him fully submitted, separated for the work that he's going to have him do, and he gives Jeremiah no light message. Jeremiah would not have been popular uh, in this day, and he wasn't in his day. Um, so, where the people who, maybe namely pastors and elders, people who teach, but Christians as well, I mean, just because, I mean, everybody is to be talking about the Lord and knowing the Lord, telling people about the Lord. That involves learning, that involves sharing, um, is to be humbly submitted to the word of God uh, for the sake of his word and name. Um, uh, we don't stand on a soapbox in pride to air our opinions. That's something that, I personally pray against when I come to a time like this. Um, um, we stand in the pulpit with conviction to air his truth. Completely different. Motives matter. And a statement that rings true over all the Christian's life um, is there's a humbling yourself no matter what you're doing in the Lord, um, in obedience to the Lord. Um, God can do infinitely more 
with your humility than we ever could with our pride. Um, and that's, if there's a first thing that you say to yourself in the morning, that, that's probably a good one. Um, from preaching and teaching to hearing and practicing. All right, so. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So everybody likes him at the beginning. But then he continues and starts making these direct claims about his messiahship and the blindness and sinfulness of man. Uh, And at the end of our text, people are already trying to kill him at the beginning of his ministry. It goes from glorified by all in verse 15 to let's throw him off a cliff in verse 29. All right. Uh, And a side note, um, this isn't the first time this is going to happen. Ultimately, it's either reject or accept um, hard heart or submitted heart. Um, Slavery to freedoms from God or freedom in slavery to our liberating master. That's a, that's a jam-packed statement. <laughs> freedom, <laughs> slavery to our freedoms, which you see in Romans 1, God judges the world by giving exactly what it wants. It's not him. So you, you can be in slavery to freedoms from God or freedom in slavery to our liberating master. It's the only kind of slavery where you're actually free. Um, it's either our autonomy or his lordship. Jesus is the most loved and hated person in human history. Uh, just because we're in church doesn't mean we love him, according to verse 15. Where was he? He was in church. He was in the synagogue. Uh, maybe they thought he should have been at City Hall. Remember, they thought he was going to be a, a monarch, liberator, and just a nut, like, a, like a, the biggest name in the line of kings. And he was. Just not how they thought. Uh, and he was glorified by who? All. But then the truth comes, motives, idols, personal agendas are exposed, and we know what's really behind the curtain, and we need to see that. It could save our lives, because motives matter. And the good news is that we've been given an invitation to repent and believe. So loving this Jesus, we've always kept at a distance. And when you feel that exposing happening um, under the word, we run to God with it and say, I found these weeds in the garden. I need help picking them. Or I found this junk behind the curtain. Dumpster. Um, The offer on the table is that Jesus can clean the space behind the curtain. And the question is, do we want him to? That's always the question. These people that he's... um, about to preach his first sermon to, or first documented sermon. Um, they have, their reaction goes south. <laughs> All right, so verse 16. Is there any questions before we move forward? Or comments? No, you, can yeah. I give this to you? You're yeah. There's no neutrality. No, there is no true. You know, there is no we can neutrality. Say, uh, I'm not against God. But yeah. If you're not for him, you're you are against him. Yeah. You if know? you're not, yeah, yeah. He said that. That was one of the things when I very first started reading my Bible. I read the book of Matthew. And Liz was. You can hold on to that, uh, Joe. Um, Liz was saying, if you didn't hear online, that there is no neutrality with Christ. You're either for him, excuse me, or against him. And he says those very words. He says, you're either for me or against me. And I remember reading those words for the first time and being like, how many Westerns is that in? Or I had no idea like Jesus was the originator of that statement. Or how many movies, or you're either with me or for me. And when like, some character, good or bad, says that. And I just remember thinking like, wow. And I, and I just on a side note, I remember seeing a house divided will stand. I was like, won't stand. It's like, I thought that was an Abraham Lincoln quote. Jesus said that? Yeah. But no, there is, neutrality is an illusion. You're either with him or against him. There is no, there is no middle ground. Um, it's funny you say that. I was watching a thing online last night about a, a pastor talking about that very thing. Um, if, if we believe the claims of Christ to be true, um, 
then we have to be, we have to embody those truths the best we can. And uh, these are the things by which we live him. And in this way, we're living by his truths. We're living in him. Um, and if we're not, we're not in him. All right, so Jesus rejected at Nazareth. And we'll see those categories coming out here. Um, and he came to Nazareth uh, where, he, where he had grown up or where he had been brought up. And the people react the same, and the people react the way they do for this reason, but the way they're about to react, because this is where he had been brought up. He would have been somewhat of a familiar faith, uh, face to some extent. Uh, and we'll hold on to that. I'm glad the text tells us that. And as, and as was his custom... This is how we know this might not be the very first time that Jesus preached, just the first documented time in Luke, at least. Um, as, he, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood and read, all right, from then in the synagogue to now in church, one thing that makes uh, this an assembly of God is the word. Okay, so he's at church, he's reading the word of God. And the scripture of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. So he goes to Isaiah 61, and as Leonard said earlier, that's like the, uh, that, that, that was their gospel in the Old, Test, uh, the Old Testament. There, it, would, it had these uh, Messiah overtones to it. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is the Spirit bearer, according to um, well, everything Leonard said today. But verse 14, he came back from the wilderness, having been led out there by the Spirit in the power of the Spirit. Uh, because he has, a, has anointed me to proclaim good news. He himself is the good news. The kingdom of God is, is among you. He's that kingdom. Uh, to proclaim good news, the good news of himself, to the poor, spiritually. Uh, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's the POWs of Satan's world. Um, and recovering of the sight to the blind, those who live in spiritual darkness, to set at liberty those who are oppressed by sin, Satan, death, and hell, and their flesh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as Leonard said, he cuts it here. He cuts it. Uh, he closes the book in the middle of the sentence, and everybody's like, "Oh, there's more." He, why does he, he stop there? He's very intentional about that. No mistakes. Um, the day, uh, the day of the vengeance of our God, that has not yet been fulfilled. It's that part, that second half of the verse, that's still coming. But right now, this is the year of the Lord's favor. There was the Jubilee time, but there's uh, God who makes no mistakes, is not willy-nilly with anything. It, there's, there's more behind Jesus coming than just, it's not some random time. Um. He comes in this time just to make that point all the more uh, so that he can provide the liberty that he talked about uh, in, free, in freedom. And, the, and then once again, they think it's about, they largely think it's about their lot in life and their overlords. They want freed from that. Jesus sees a deeper need. God sees a deeper need. And that's our sin. He came for that. That's the ultimate freedom. So that we're free from that and free in Christ, we can live in whatever kind of lot we have because we know that this is as, as bad as it'll ever get. And the Apostle Paul had it worse than all of us. He said all the affliction that he faced was light momentary affliction. But I hope that strengthens your bones when you start to feel the weight of the world. Okay, so he proclaims himself. This is a time of uh, favor, as it said. Um, and that's grace. And uh, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the gospel, is, is profound. And if, I, if you start talking about it, you really can't ever do it justice. And so you never stop talking about it. So the Christian never gets tired of hearing the gospel. Um, I want it all the time. I need it every day. I need it at the moment, the very one moment I'm satisfied with it and then you start to get distracted and go on with your day I needed that very next moment you know as well 
Lord, I need you every hour. I need you, we sang today. So, um, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. This was common practice. There would have been a, a, a runner between the, uh, the reading place and where the scroll was held. Um, and he went and sat down. Um, and so all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Okay, and they're on the edge of their seats here because that, that whiff of the Messiah that's in the air, is it really him? Um, and he's going to confirm it. Is he going, they're, they're, is he going to confirm it from his mouth? Because this was common practice at the time. Guy goes up. Here's the reading of the word. Scroll goes. He comes down, sits, and then he starts expounding on the scripture. That was how the synagogue worked back in the day. Um, and so all the eyes are on him. But with a, maybe they would have had like, it's, if this was a normal Sunday, maybe some of them would have been checking their phones or something. They, they, they had an eye on him, I'm trying to say. Um, but because of who this is who's speaking and the headline that's in the air, fixed eyes, both eyes fixed, what's he going to say? Is he going to confirm it? What's going on here? Um, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's the sermon for the day. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. He confirms it. They heard it, I'm here, I'm him. The Messiah is with you. And all spoke well of him. Now, our English translations didn't do a very good job with all spoke well of him. Um, they liked his gracious tone, is, is what that means, uh, essentially. And they marveled at the gracious words that are coming from him. So he spoke in a gracious way. He didn't... He wasn't heavy-handed with his tone. He, 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 was, he was gentle. He would not break a bruised reed, kind of. Um, and yet, they said, is this not Joseph's son? So that kind of shows you their heart. It sounds good, but hold up. So they, they were doubting. They weren't believing. And that's why Jesus says everything that he's about to, and this is where things start to escalate. Well, he dropped the bomb already, claiming to be who he was, and now the, 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 the shrapnel from this is about to cause other explosions. Um, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that are coming from his mouth, and yet they said, is not this Joseph's son? Because they knew sonship was a huge thing. Who do you come from? This is this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do, uh, what we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. He said, give me the bells and whistles that we heard about you doing in Capernaum. We want to see. Uh, if we go read Matthew, uh, this text is, he, go, he stops here after Capernaum and he does, he's doing a lot of the stuff that Isaiah talks about. He's healing the eyes of the blind and he's, 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 uh, he's doing those miraculous things. They want to see it. Give me the sign. Give me a sign. And Jesus is always grieved by that when you, when you see him in the scripture. And he's not going to satisfy them. Uh, remember, he came for preaching total. So they're not accepting his word. And he's going to start comparing them to a people who didn't accept his word either. Uh, taking these Old Testament examples and saying, hey, you're just like those people who rejected God's message at the time. And then that's what they hear. That's why they get so jacked. And that's why... They take it from the synagogue to the cliff. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's not total trust. They were they were wanting a sign. Is like saying what you are is not good enough. What you're saying isn't good enough. Now God gives these signs, these mirac. He does these. Uh, he does the miraculous to confirm his message at his will, not the people's will. Joe, you got. You know, uh, Gideon wanted a sign, but Gideon's heart was right. Yeah. I think in this particular instance, skepticism. Yeah. And. They want another sign to make sure that he, again, this, yeah. they don't even know about the virgin birth, right? The fact that Christ is really God's son. Mm. So 
wanted another sign, but it was it out of a uh, heart that wants to know that he's the Messiah, or was it a statement of, yeah, right, <laughs> We'll get, yeah, we're, we're about to get into that. Yeah, 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 it was, it was well, we see it was the latter. Yeah, that, uh, okay, yeah. That I, I found in my study on this. Um, Luke is using the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And when he's quoting this speech, uh, the word that is used for proclaim by Isaiah is more like announcing. Mm -hmm. And the word that Luke uses is, I believe, is keruso, which means to proclaim. Mm -hmm. So he made a point earlier about the emphasis that Luke puts on preaching. Mm -hmm. And that's why he used that word is because even though the miraculous obviously is a sign of the fulfillment and a sign of, of controlling the powers and stuff, the bottom line is uh, as you go through Luke, preaching is, is really a continuous theme. And mm -hmm. then you and I have talked about like the preaching in Acts and yeah. how many sermons are in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. So that's a big theme that, that, that Luke also kind of integrates into his storyline between those two books, as he's telling Theophilus, that it all hinges on the preaching of the word, of the, the gospel. Yeah, and, there, and, and uh, you know, faithful churches and uh, always put, like, there's a heavy emphasis on preaching because the Bible has such a high view of it. Um, and you think of Romans 10, who's, unless they hear and... Um, Faith comes from hearing, but how do you hear unless you're not sent? And there's, and you see all these changes as we talked about in the book of Acts when God, uh, it always comes through a sermon, a message, a word. Words are the most powerful things. And so we hear those silly statements like, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Like, no, <laughs> stop saying that. Yeah. Uh, and I know what that statement's designed to do, get, get our good works going, but it involves proclaiming, it involves words, because you need to hear, and that's how our faith is created. So instead of satisfying them, Jesus illustrated a principle that was often true in the Old Testament, and he said to them, truly I say to you, See, there's this, there's our, it is written, there's our, thus saith the Lord. Truly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He's saying the shift, the shift that occurred in Jesus' life from carpenter to beginning his mission was so drastic that people uh, who knew what he was would have felt afraid, afraid by what he began to say, who he claimed to be. They would have felt uh, betrayed on some level. Um, they would have been confused. Like, you grew up here. We knew you. We recognize you. We've seen you in church before. Nothing special about you. Didn't you? Did you just decide one day, like you're you're the Messiah? Uh, or you, did you just get it into your head that that's who you were? Who do you think you are? It's hard for those closest to you who know you best for the longest time to reconcile the change, the difference God makes when He saves. Did your family treat you a little differently when you came home with Jesus one day? Your friends? Yeah. I lost all my friends the first month. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's all they need. Yeah. 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 Sus yeah, you can relate. You uh, yes. I, I yeah. You got that uh microphone still? People at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just got it. Uh All right, so the statement greatly offends them because it tells them they're actually acting against God's prophet. 
next, he's going, he goes uh, and speaks about a period in history where widespread unfaithfulness to God uh, to warn them not to reject his message. So he speaks about these, these moments in, uh, in Old Testament times of widespread unfaithfulness and how God acted in those times. And so that's what he's about to tell us. And he goes about telling them that their perceptions are off, uh, that they misunderstand the scriptures, calling them blind, is the uh, undertone here. And, and they're taking after people who persecuted God's prophets. It's almost like he's saying they're the poor and slave blind people we read about in Isaiah 61. So right off the bat, he identifies those sensitive nerves that when the truth comes, that's, those are the places we get hurt, those dark places in us that get hurt. Uh, and so kind of fight back against the truth for a time until, by the grace of God, eventually he sets you free and you don't miss those things anymore that you held on to so tight to begin with. This statement gracefully offends them because they're act. Okay. Uh, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and great famine came over the land, and Elijah, who was the figurehead of all the prophets, uh, was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. A widow. Uh, he was not sent, Elijah, to the unfaithful masses, but rather to the least of these. That's a very God move. Um, God is mindful of the nobodies who are faithful to him. He's saying his mission isn't all about them. It's not just about them. It's bigger than them. It's bigger than you and I. Salvation is bigger. Salvation is bigger than individual salvation. It's not smaller than that. We get we're, we really caught up in ourselves, and we can start to see that. And only focus on that. And just because it doesn't look like you think it should, doesn't mean God isn't working. He continues. Um, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, uh, and none of them was sent, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, Syrian. It's a Gentile. So he blows up their Jewish tribalism then. Says there's not only there for them, these guys are acting in rebellion. They're the poor, blind, and people who need the doctor, um, people who need the Messiah. And he blows up their Jewish tribalism, calling them unknowledgeable of God's previous works. Uh, for a gen God is working for a Gentile to the exclusion of, an, of Israel in this text that Jesus is talking about that he brings up. So surely the Jewish Messiah wouldn't say all this uh, and so the very next verse tells us what happened and they were and when they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath. All right, so Jesus came in he dropped on dropped a bomb on them blowing up their perception. so true or false when things don't pan out the way you think they should, you get a little angry. Their Messiah wasn't who they thought he was going to be. They were angry. They were filled with wrath. See, already Jesus wasn't what they thought the Messiah was going to be like. He's supposed to be for us, the Jewish people. Why is he telling us only concerned for a few of us and telling us a story about the favor of a Gentile? So they had to have like a little crisis of faith right there. God, God is in the business of blowing up all our preconceptions. Uh, and a few weeks ago, I, I missed half a verse when John the Baptist was talking, and he said, don't presume, um, don't say to yourselves, we are the children of Abraham. He said, God can make worshipers of these very stones. So, So they refused what God had provided to preserve their preconception of what they imagined. They refused what God provided to preserve their preconceptions of what they imagined. Yeah. 
when you think about the call of Abraham, which is where this whole thing started with, with the Jewish people, uh, in, in Genesis 12, 1, 1 through 3, mm-hmm. that he's called so that all the nations would be blessed through him. So it's just a very foundational opening yeah. statement. But don't you think it, it seems like by the time he's coming into um, his ministry, the people have taken that message of responsibility and blessing to people that are outside of their tribe to being entitled and privileged. Mm-hmm. And um, and basically, xenophobic yeah. towards anybody that's not in their in their in their mix. Yeah, you know, yeah, like we're the chosen. We, yeah, the favor we have the favor. Yeah, and one of the one of the um, you know the two two rabbinic schools of Hillel and Shammai would allow God fearing Gentiles in. Hillel's bar was was a lot lower than Shammai's. Shammai's was if you're a Gentile and you want to be a God fearer, you're gonna have to do a whole bunch of things in order to in order to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And you know we just don't accept anybody off the street that's not from our tribe. You're gonna have to prove that you're really wanting to be one of us. Yeah. And and so you kind of have that that sense that Jesus is having to deal with all those attitudes that have mm-hmm. been that have been cultivated for a very long time yeah it's how he does it It, it's you don't see him catering to one specific thing he attacks the heart of the matter with his statements and all things uh he always (coughs) just just a little teaser when we get to luke 9 uh, there are three times that Jesus is calling out the disciples because they're talking about, you know, we're preaching the word to some Gentiles and we should call down fire on them because they're not listening. And there's, he's, he's calling out d- three different episodes of how provincial his disciples are being about the word going beyond the boundaries of, of their group. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to going into that section because basically he's, he's, doing exactly what you said he's recognizing there's something inside of them that's dark that he's got a, he's got a name and call out yeah and it'll come out in nine so that's going to be an interesting yeah series of messages we're going to be doing there mm-hmm. so yes absolutely i believe the lord came because actually too in a sense as i was thinking the Jews were keeping the gospel to themselves, or should I say, and they weren't evangelizing. Thank God when when Christ, le- before he left, he told the disciples, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to teach you and re- put you into remembrance of what salvation's all about, and mm-hmm. he's going to go through the whole world. Man can't do it. The Jews thought they, they were the only ones. So yeah. that, I think, in itself, I think it's the Holy Spirit that is doing all the work oh, as far yeah. as the evangelizing. We are just the uh, spokesmen or the preachers and you know, preachers and laity alike. Yeah. When you say things, you make it so I have to open up a whole new category of stuff. I guess. <laughs> it's good, though. <laughs> no, it's good though. That's that, that's the beauty of the scriptures. It just you, you keep getting, getting. There's so many layers. You never get to the bottom of it. And you bring up some good layers, Joe. Thank you. Let's just elaborate on it since we got something taken on a life of its own here. All right. Um, you know when Abraham is called in Genesis 12, what happened prior to that was the the Tower of Babel in 11. And the table of nations in 10, which is the 70 nations that um, are listed as the known nations that are scattered at the Tower of Babel. And then Abraham is called to be a blessing to all those nations. So kind of getting to Joe's point about what happens in Acts 2, you have the 70 nations represented at the, at the giving of the Holy Spirit after Peter's sermon mm-hmm. 
all 70 nations are represented. Um, and then the idea is the gospel is designed to go to all of those nations to be a blessing. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit enables that clearly based that's, on that imagery. That's good stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, just kind of zooming out to show the macro of where Luke is at in this whole grand narrative. Yeah. You read the text, you read it again, you read it a hundred more times, and then this is why stuff like this is so important. You, see, you start to see how big it is. You start to see uh, just how things connect. The 70 nations and Genesis, Genesis 10, 11, and Acts 2. That's, thank you. All right. All right, and they rose up and drove him out of town. We don't have much left. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. I don't know if you guys ever seen pictures of the cliff here. It's a cliff. The proper cliff. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, like uh, it's, it's just a proper cliff. It's, it's high. Um, kind of shows you how badly they wanted to just nix Jesus right there. We see this pattern throughout Jesus' ministry. Again, reject, rejection and wrath or love and adherence. Uh, today, the hate is more subtle. It could be hearing about him in our seat and rejecting him in our heart without moving a muscle. Just a simple disregarding of what you have just heard and move on. But in doing this, we join in with the people who want to throw him off the cliff. If we're honest, we think the same things these people do. I think the real Christians, uh, we have that sense on our heart. Uh, you know, I, I'm no better than anybody who would throw him off a cliff because I'm, you know, one decision away from doing the same thing. Um, and that should keep us humble. I love what uh, Matt Chandler said about the gospel. Um, it heals us so that we don't walk with a limp, and it humbles us so that we don't walk with a swagger. So if we're listening at all, Jesus is going to be unsettling our paradigms for the rest of the book. We have thoughts and ideas that flow in a direction that we feel safe in. Uh, Jesus is always dynamite to that. Uh, and the call is to leave those things at the door, better yet, throw those things Instead of disregarding him and throwing him off the cliff, disregard our preconceptions, throw those and our presumptions, throw those off. Um, you can tell when that happens, when you're being sanctified in the midst of it, because uh, Jesus will say something that used to offend you before, or trigger you before, and now uh, that gives you joy and relief that that's not part of you anymore. Uh, and you don't think the same as you once did. Uh, I used to worship, personally, my own opinions. I love the things that I used to think. Um, I don't miss them. I found my identity in them, and I don't miss them at all now. Um, I think about things I adhered to in my own mind, and, and I test that against Scripture, and I see, like, oh, I do not miss that guy at all. Um, and once you have Jesus, you, you taste, I mean, you get that drink that uh, you're no longer thirsty anymore. John 4, I will give you water and you'll no longer be thirsty. Um, uh, and so what you realize is you don't need your opinions anymore, and they're okay to have, but you have truth now, and that far outweighs everything. You have the truth of God. That far outweighs anything in my broken, finite mind. So truth are greater than opinions, perceptions, and ideas. Truth is, you know what truth is, if you could just define it? It means reality. So to disregard truth, which is only found in the Bible, and comes from the mouth of Jesus, he breathes, he talks, and it's scripture, truly I tell you, or it is written, thus says the Lord. 
is to exchange reality willfully for ignorance when we disregard truth and to live the lie of Romans 1, which says that we exchange the truth for a lie. That's what man has always done, exchanged. All sin is an exchange. Yeah, uh, Matt Chandler said uh, the gospel humbles you, or sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The gospel heals you so that you don't walk with a limp, and it humbles you so that you don't walk with a swagger. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. The mob got him up there. I won't spend much time here, but just he was supernaturally, sovereignly preserved for one place. He was going to die on a different hill. And he would die nowhere else, and he would get there. His death was our cross. Jesus took my cross, and that's where he was going. And this is the truth that we get to live in, the reality of this Messiah taking our place so that we could have a better place, a green pasture to be free in. So our action steps is to forego the lies that keep us from reality and to ask him to go behind the curtain, put these things forward, and grant us the willingness to see them thrown off the cliff. That's our action step. Um, the only alternative reality to the truth of God exists only in our heads. Um, he's here to help that, untangle that. So I would just want to end with Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2. And saying, first the truth makes you angry and then sets you free, as we've been saying, and I'm going to continue saying that. Uh, we've been saying, first the truth uh, that's what we've been saying. First, the truth offends, then it frees. See then offenses, and when that comes as invitations to freedom, when you're offended, that's how you should see that offense. Uh, and the truth offends, that's what it does. He has to offend us into the kingdom sometimes. Um, and we've been offending God our entire lives, so let the truth offend because he's ready to give us mercy. He wants to. Sent his son. And so, when we accept that invitation, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is the good and acceptable, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So Father, thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for not only coming in and entertaining a conversation with us at all and saying anything to us, but um, loving us enough to speak those things that would jostle those haughty heights within us. And so when we come falling down, you we have nothing to do but reach up for you. And in that moment at our rock bottom we are closer to god god is closer to us than we have ever been at the heights that we thought we were at before so thank you for the work that you do thank you for having love in your eyes when you pursue us love in your heart um thank you for letting us see that help us to walk with you and i pray that you grant us the grace of walking well with each other carrying each other's burdens, uh, being gentle with each other, not beating with this book, everybody that this book tells us to love, but uh, love rejoices in the truth, and this is the truth. And I don't know exactly what it looks like. I don't know specifically what to pray for, so I just ask for help as we navigate from here. Spirit, that you would empower our thinking, renewing our minds, in the things that uh, our Savior says to us. 
in helping us to remember through everything all the sanctifying work of your word coming into us that you're good and you've got us. Keep showing us the cross so that we wouldn't be discouraged because that's where, that's where you died for us. That's where you paid the penalty for all the things that you're trying to sanctify in us. And remembering that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He turned, the Father turns his back from you so that he could show his face to us. So praise your holy name and thank you for the marvelous grace of hearing your word. May we have those glad submitted hearts. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Does anybody have any questions about anything or anything they want to talk about? Comments? It is still on. I came this far. <laughs> okay. I'm still going to give it to you. Okay. Still on. It's on, yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, obviously everyone knows it's um, Black History Month, and yesterday um, I was watching a documentary oh, <laughs> on PBS, which was really very good. Um, I love the history of the truths, you know, what, mm -hmm. what happened, whether you agree with it or not. But um, it was just all the people that fought for freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you, you can put Jesus, you can go clear back to Jesus, and he was not accepted because he wasn't like them. Mm -hmm. And just like the, the black people, because they were a different skin tone, they, you know, they were so much, you know, less, you know, they, they took things away from them so they couldn't become intelligent. They, you know, it was against their, um, they would get punished if they learned to read or yeah. anything like that. They kept them stupid yeah. on purpose. Um, but, you know, even just, you know, during our life, you know, you still see it today. You saw it, you know, in the 60s, how horrible it was on like Ruby Bridges, you know, was a little girl. They didn't see the little girl. They saw color. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you think we came a long way from this, and we haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, each generation has its things um, that are specific to that generation, but all of human history has the same problems. Yeah, we, you know, being, saying we're Christian and a lot of people um, throughout, you know, history, they proclaimed that they were Christians and ministers and, you know, you know, it, it was horrible. I mean, they beheaded them, they treated them like animals. Um, and they, they, you know, they did that all through history. Um, but I guess it hits home when you see still happens today. Yeah. And people are still so blind. Um, but they proclaim that they know Jesus and they know God. But they are still so, um, have so much hatred. For the, for yeah. If you don't think the way they think, um, you know, just with what's going on, you know, politically, you know, you know, they say they want to um, become one, it, it, but there's such a division yeah. going on still right now um, of hatred for a person. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm sure one thinks the opposite, you know, you're being blinded. The other wants to know you're being blinded. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess one day... Jesus will open all of our eyes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's something we have to hope for. And it, at the end of John 9, I think it is, um, Jesus says to the Pharisees, the, the same thought you have in your heart as you look into the world right now, he says to them uh, who were oppressing the people at the time, um, you remain blind because you claim you see. And uh, 
that's the autonomous nature of the human heart apart from Christ, apart from God, is the opinion worshiping and what I think is best is the reality. It's, it's that it's Satan's gospel that's in our hearts. It's, it's the garden that has taken place in every human heart unless God saves us from it. That's why we are in such a precious position to have his word, believe it, because we get to live in reality and be restored to a humanity that, um, well, everything that we are, that he saves us from is what makes us less human. And so Jesus restores us. And so you get to have that in the church. Not every church is great at this, but you get to have that nation of every tongue, tribe, um, a nation, that holy nation out of the world. We always think that God is going to bring this. If we just pray enough, he'll save our city. And yeah, we pray for those things. But ultimately, he's making, he's building his church out of the world. And uh, one day it'll be a kingdom, but it'll never be that kingdom we want it to be until that day. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, they hate conversations like this. You know, just to kind of elaborate on 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 what you guys are saying. You know, Paul Paul talks about that in Galatians, where he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, yeah. male nor female. And he mentions it again in Colossians where he says there's neither Scythian or Mede, mm-hmm. you know, and he goes on to different people groups. All of those groups are just common ways of identifying and finding an identity yeah. in this world. And what Paul says in Galatians is there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Uh, his point is, but we are now a new humanity in Christ. And if you claim to be a Christian, but then you're allowing those other identities to override your Christianity, you're going to be that person that Karen's talking about. Because you're going to take your own biases against people and for yourself into those conversations. And with with what Paul said, Mm -hmm. like like just to kind of add to what you said about all the nations being called in, you can only call yourself a Christian in those kind of situations if you're taking your new humanity seriously. Mm-hmm. And that's from that, that's where you become opposed to, you know, social injustices and all of that stuff. The government can try to try to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. But at the end of the day, it does its own brand of social injustices to people that it leaves out. Christ doesn't leave anybody out. Yeah. I mean, he includes everybody that wants to be a part of that. And you start looking at people differently. Um, So it's an important point. And every generation has to learn it. It'd be nice if we we could say our, our collective humanity you know, could could evolve into a place where we 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 got it, but we don't seem to be a very we seem to forget. But we we're stewards of that message now. Yeah. 
all of us in this room until we're gone. And hopefully the people that come up after us, we can help them to understand that and carry that torch. Yes, and that's how we, specifically Christians, we, I forget if we were talking about this or not, but we don't rebel the way the world does. We rebel with this, living and believing this. This is how we rebel. We can't, uh, you know, when you were a kid, you rebelled by smoking cigarettes or out of your window or something. I don't know. Um, but all of it has been tried and never got us anywhere. This is what gets us. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Jesus said, the end of John 9, I think. Yeah, John some of the Pharisees were near him, heard these things, so they, they are greatly offended by everything that takes place. Uh, he says, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Essentially, he's saying, you remain blind because you claim to see. And you only get sight from the one who gives it to you. That's where I thought the story was going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess they're doing their pilgrimages and over the phone now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's... They get you when you agree with them sometimes. Watch out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, well... Yeah, that, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So they're doing it by phone now, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the world hates me, it will hate you. Are we still live? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought we were done. Yes.
Yeah. 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 Lots to say about it, yeah. It should, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't realize we were... Brian's probably like, give the mic to somebody <laughs> so the people online can hear it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see you next time. Uh, and everybody here as well, thank you for staying. Thank you for joining us. I don't know where the camera is, just thank you. <laughs> We'll see you soon. Oh, yeah.